0: So let me tell you a little bit about my brain. I don't understand how it works. Stupid bloody thing. How on earth can any of us understand what to do about something as scintillatingly vast as climate change if we can't even work out what we want for breakfast? This is Your Brain on Climate, a new podcast about psychology and what it can teach us about the climate crisis, what it is, how we got here, and what to do about it. My name's Dave. I've campaigned, talked, and written about climate change for years and years, and I've always wondered. Climate change is about all sorts of things, and, like, psychology is just a part of that, but in large part, it's the result of billions and billions of brains doing stuff and human brains are very interested in strange and squishy things, are they not? So maybe there are things we can learn from what we think and why we think it, which might help us come up with new ways of understanding and talking about climate change. I'm not a psychologist. You're probably not one either what we're going to do is learn from some chats with some clever people about how our brains understand some really essential things like risk, conflict, love, hate, ignorance, hope, and how all of these things are part of the climate crisis. So joining me for this pilot episode of Your Brain on Climate is the redoubtable and very tolerant Adam Corner. Adam was until recently the Director of Policy and Research at Climate Outreach, he's now an independent writer and researcher specialising in climate comms and culture-climate collaborations. Most relevantly for our chat today, he's got a PhD in psychology, particularly looking at the thing we're going to look at today, which is risk. So how do our brains understand risk? What scares us? What can we learn from the last 18 months, life under the pandemic? And is climate change like that? And if it isn't, spoiler, kind of isn't, how do you actually get people to behave as if there was a climate emergency going on? Now, we're gonna try to keep this chat unjargony, because this ain't school, but there are gonna be times when someone may say something that makes you think, hmm, I wonder what that thing is that they just said. So when you hear this noise, it means I've put something in the show notes that you can click for more information. So this noise tells you, don't worry about the thing you've just heard. Roll with it for now, and then go and look at the show notes if you want to find out more. This is the first episode of Your Brain on Climate. I'm really excited for you to be listening to it. It's going to go out on its own, but normally what we're going to do is series of six episodes or so. And what I hope is the first one of those will follow later in the year. So let me know what you think of this first episode. You can find me on Twitter at brainclimate or hello at yourbrainonclimate.com. So to start with, I thought I'd test Adam's patience from the off by demonstrating a very, very tenuous grasp on basic biology. so risk okay good now we are basically lizards right when it comes to understanding risk and by, by which i mean if i'm asleep somewhere and someone comes up to me and wakes me up i don't immediately go oh hang on what's happening here uh, there's something i need to consider i go jesus and i jump six feet into the air and i run away Right, or if someone, if I'm walking through a scary place late at night, I'm I'm thinking something is gonna bite me. Right, and we still—that's essentially mm. what a lizard would do. We've still got, in terms of working out what is scary, that is still basically how we work. Yes,
1: that is an interesting way of thinking about risk. I would say <laughs> that we, it's, it's bollocks. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> we, we. I mean, no, I mean, I th- there, there, there are some there are some circumstances where. There is a direct relationship. You've come up with some exciting scenarios there about lizards in alleyways, um, but you know the one I always kind of think of is like, okay, you know, y- your house is on fire. You know, you're in your house. Is it? Your house that's on fire. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I don't look behind, you know. Um, and you know, in in that sense, there are circumstances where um, you know risk is fairly unmediated. It's fairly kind of you know, unconstructed non non constructed. I've thought a lot about this over the last year. um, And it really, it's really, it's really kind of played on my mind a lot how how constructed most risks are, which, which is not the same thing as saying they're made up, They, they exist, they're real, but they're, they're so rarely ever unmediated, that almost always come through a great big pipeline or cluster or ecosystem of influences. And I think you can see it, you know... So
0: when you're saying, when you're saying unmediated, you mean, like, it's, it's not... Something is not just black or white scary or not scary. We are telling ourselves in loads of different ways that it's more or less scary than it is, than it might be. We're getting in the way of that kind of lizard scary reaction with our yeah. clever human brains, right? Not
1: many risks are like that, I guess. You know, not many risks are like the being kind of, like, spooked and woken up from your sleep. I, I think most risks are... told told to us in in one way or another or are amplified or kind of um, attenuated by the influences around us and I mean this is not I don't want to suggest this is some uh, grand insight that has occurred to me and only me in the last year like there's 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 a lot of work on this on like risk perceptions um, frameworks for understanding how people construct and amplify risks that I mean they're almost they're almost part of the part of the furniture kind of academically you know that 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 it's just kind of standard there's like social amplification of risk framework that sort of you know does exactly this it pieces together all the different things that might influence your risk judgments what you read or hear in the, the media what your friends say your limited attention span you know and it kind of it kind of says well all of these things work together to to, to, to draw your attention and your emotions to a risk or not. Um, but it's really been writ large. So like
0: going, plane crashes, there's one, right? Like in our society and in general, loads of people are terrified of flying, right? And it's not like you will never die in a plane, but mm-hmm. the same people who are terrified of flying think absolutely nothing of, for example, driving down the M4. At seventy miles an hour, which is just a much riskier thing to do, but we don't we don't have those we we don't have that sort of construction of that risk. And because like, if a plane crashes, it's on the news and everyone dies and it's really messy. That sort of captures the impression that we have of it. Is that what you mean? This this unmediated risk thing. Yeah,
1: totally that. I mean, so so yeah. there's this idea of like a kind of like a dread, a dread risk, um, which is um, a sort of like a low probability but high damage event, like like a plane crash where lots of people are killed all all at once. And it obviously is. This is this is the distinction. You know, it's not when you say that a risk is constructed, it, the plane did crash and those people did die. So there is there is something at the core of that that is, you know, the the event, the risk, in a sense, but. Then, then layered on top of that is any number of kind of directions and interpretations of what do we do with that information. Um, and and there's this um, a calculation was done in the aftermath of nine eleven where people stopped flying and an in large numbers because they were scared of flying in the wake of nine eleven, and that the calculation suggested that. Th- the same or more people were killed on U.S. roads in the wake of 9/11 through choosing driving over flying because, and it's less safe, as you say. Um, which I don't, right. I, I don't take to be a kind of a uh-huh, ha, idiots. Why don't you jump in the plane? I, it, but it, but it says something important, doesn't it? It tells you something important about what's doing the work in terms of like you know um, creating the the reaction, the behavioural change. Is it the thing? It's emotional. Yeah. It's emotional. It feels like we're having this really strong
0: emotional kind of thing going on, right? Um, And like, can we just talk for a second about what it is in the, what the difference is? So like... Tell me about... I did, I did some reading, thought i it better had in preference to this, right? So the amygdala is the bit of the brain that we are left with from when we were lizards, right? So it is that kind of... Will we have lizards? Anyway, you know what I mean. Um, the very, very, very old bit of the brain. And that's the bit that goes, shit, something bad is happening, I must run away, fight it, shag it, whatever right and then we've got all the new human stuff in the neocortex is that right the kind of new humany or is it mammalian anyway the bit that basically goes right i'm going to think about what's happening i'm going to think about what scary is i'm going to make plans and kind of the one there's a bit of a dance always happening is and it's that that is the thing that is at work you know sometimes you you have the emotions that you want to run away and fight but other times your brain is going no it's all right calm down and is that what's happening or am I just confusing myself and listeners and you and everyone? And
1: this, this part of the, this section of the conversation is called two, two men grope around in the dark to explain biology. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I think that, 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 that all sounds right to me, Dave. No, I think, I think, you know, the the, the, the amygdala is, is their kind of emotional um, bit for sure. And, and is an older part of the brain. And I think you see it in the, in the way that people talk about, um, you know system 1 and system 2 sort of thinking and how do you oh, how do you trigger more how do you, trigger more, stuff, how do you yeah. trigger more kind of like conscious processing of information um yeah moving away from those fight or flight instinctive evolutionary ancient monkey lizard responses um and and i i guess i guess the point where i i'm interested in in that or, or where it really seems to matter is i guess i i yeah i mean there's there's a huge amount of you know neuropsychology that can can tell you which parts of the brain lights up at different points when people are doing things or you know can can kind of correlate brain activity with certain reactions and it, that all tells you something useful but i think in a sense what's more um kind of socially politically critical is 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 to to understand why how and why do some things seem to trigger that reaction or one of those reactions and other things don't it's almost like we get kind of hoodwinked by some you know threats that really probably we maybe didn't need to elevate quite where they should be and others just slip right under the radar you know and we just we just don't kind of we like climate change yeah um although although maybe maybe there's i think we've got some we've got a bit more um agency in that i think than maybe we've all told ourselves over the years
0: I often find myself thinking I'm thinking about the world. Like thinking I'm reasoning, but actually just acting like a sort of neurologically upset bag of water, just kind of freaking out as stuff. Um is it is it are we sort of in completely in control of our thoughts and our brains or what?
1: Yeah, I think I think I think we're kind of we're surprisingly not in lots of ways, as in we are we are quite we are quite captive to the 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 kind of you know we can call them different things, whether we call them sort of biases or heuristics or um just kind of semi automatic sort of responses and reactions to things that trigger us um and we can know you know i think i think I think in a sense like that you can learn a lot about our minds and and obviously there's a there's now several several decades best part of a century in a way of of sort of understanding about about that through through psychology through neuroscience through other disciplines um but then I guess there's a separate question of like you can understand it and it's useful for all sorts of reasons like you know designing better therapy for people or understanding how children's brains develop that's all obviously really critical but does it does it give you that kind of ability to rise above 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 your you know your your um neural processes and your thinking processes and and act in a different way well it's actually quite it's quite hard to do that i think actually it's quite hard to step outside of um the responses that you know that you see in others you know that, that you see in yourself but nonetheless you can't help but kind of repeat and to, to walk through you know i'd like lots of people coming into the climate discourse when they first do you kind of have this righteous indignation um,
0: yeah, uh, yeah. why don't people get it?
1: You know, why aren't they? They've seen
0: that. They've seen the graphs,
1: haven't they? Why aren't they upset? Look at this graph. Look at that dead polar bear. Get more upset. They've seen the graphs. They've seen the dead polar bear. They've read my sign that says "Act now." what's 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 missing it's no problem um well they must be bastards is the only yeah, possible exactly. other conclusion yeah. is
0: they're a bastard
1: it could yeah. be bastards that disagree with you as well like that's that, that's that's critical um so so there's this kind of instinctive reaction to think come on come on why don't you get it i get it why don't you get it um but i think it's from that point it's been a big old kind of curve away a big old pivot away from that sort of um it's almost quite didactic starting point where you say you know how do i convince the wrong people that that they that they to understand that they're wrong and to agree with me and to more just to kind of see that we live in this sort of values soup that you need to navigate your way through um and 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 um and that and that kind of more more forced sense of proving proving debunking you know challenging um factually people's people's beliefs is not a waste of time, but it's often i think slightly um, slightly positioned at the wrong level for really why people think the things that they do in the first place wow
0: values soup what's in my values soup what do you
1: mean so like the stuff that I
0: kind of hold dear but then all the other stuff that's sort of operating on me in society and that sort of things what's in your yeah, values what's in soup? my
1: values soup um yeah, I mean I think I think we can we can all ask that of ourselves and you can you can say, you know, what are the sort of what are the the guiding sort of principles in your life. That's one definition of of a value. And it's it's really just kind of different ways of of sort of carving up the yeah, the the the, the space that we exist in that says not just what do we think, but kind of layer beneath that like what are the things that we really deeply care about the principles that sort of drive and guide our lives so it might be you know it could be fairness and injustice or inequality, or it could be like a sense of kind of security and control um and 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 how do they then lead to or underpin like the risk judgments that we make about a whole suite of different things um you know including including climate change <laughs>
0: And what about COVID, then? How does COVID fit into all that? Because it's been... Uh, I, I've been fascinated to watch the process by which... yeah, you know, Here in the UK, obviously, where I sort of know best, an entire country, pretty much, went from there is no virus to kind of basically overnight there's a virus and I'm going to keep away from people I would previously have hugged and I'm going to give two metres distance from everyone. Um, And we've lived with that for a year and we're more or less coming out of it now, touch wood. But then you saw a thing yesterday because you tweeted it and I I retweeted it, which is like there are are 30% of the population, 30, 40% are like think that things like when you come back from holiday you should always have to quarantine for 10 days forever should now be a thing like some people have now it felt to me a bit like mm. all right there's some people in the country who just always thought that sort of stuff but it feels like maybe our perception mm. of risk has mm. been kind of broken by covid but yeah where have you? you must have been following all of this and thinking about what it tells us about risk right
1: yeah i mean i i think the way that you've put it that it's been that our risk are kind of our risk radar has been has been kind of broken by it is 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 exactly right um you know i hope i think i think we've done a lot of i mean we can all see, we can see in a sense we can we can see instinctively like the, the components of this you know there was an unprecedented all channel surround sound kind of comms um campaign from, from 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 government and media yes but also from ourselves like you know this came through social media as, as much as it came through anything else and and a lot of those messages were strongly fear-based and emotive. Um, so it was like, you know, we've been hitting our, but we've been hitting our kind of like the booster button on our, on our risk perceptions pretty hard for quite a long time. Um, and I think we can, we can, we can see again, you know, that, that it's, it's likely, although I think it's not, it's not, it's not necessarily true. We don't know the counterfactual where we had a, we had a kind of karma, discourse and we still did the behavior change stuff is that possible we don't know um but certainly the argument is always like we you know we needed to kind of scare the shit out of everyone to get everyone to stay at home and that was worth it in the end i mean it's obviously had a kind of um a kind of knock-on effect which you can sort of well understood from like you know, anxiety and mental health problems that a lot of people have faced mm. over this time. I would say including I've I've really felt that myself. I've really felt that myself. I've experienced my brain has been different over the last year in a way that I didn't expect to happen. Um but I think yeah there's been this kind of overreach in terms of how it's like we've kind of saturated um our, our risk perception system somehow. We've kind of fed it like risk catnip all year. And now we're just kind of like buzzing and wild and kind of like stop anything, stop everything. That's what you know. That's what those survey, you know, survey responses suggest is that there's this kind of hangover from it. That's it's going to take a bit of time to to undo. I mean, that's where I think that you know, rather than just kind of whinge about people being mm. cross because the clubs should stay shut forever. Um, you know, I think I think really in the same way that there was this coordinated campaign coming into COVID, which worked certainly in the sense of like the near-term reaction it was intended to have we it feels like we need something of a similar magnitude to 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 guide ourselves out of it again you know and i know it's not over but as as the risks change basically we our perceptions of the risk need to change but that means the construction of the risk needs to change and i think it, that isn't happening at the moment in a clear clear way that would give us those different cues, those different signals. Um, But I mean, you know, the the restrictions are ending and that is a big signal in in itself. There was another bit of research out just this week as well with Lorraine Whitmarsh and colleagues, um, which was basically showing that people weren't really basing their risk judgments on like a sort of visceral sense of, I'm going to get this virus and and that, you know, and, and I'm scared for myself. It was more about the cue that was provided by the the lockdown itself, um, and sort of going well. If they're doing this, it must be really serious. And again, like comparing contrast of climate change because
0: right. so because government is freaking out about something that must that in itself yeah. made people think a thing is risky. And then now when the government is going, that's ah, all right now you can chill out a bit or whatever they're saying. They're not quite saying that. That that in itself is making people think it's not risky.
1: Yeah, and so I think that's a good example of where rather than just kind of back away, you know, rather than to, to kind of characterize it, like scream, scream, scream and shout terror in our faces for a long time, and then just kind of go and like drift off, you know, and let everything go back. Because that leaves some people going, ah, well, it's done, which is not true. And it leaves other people, I think, kind of stuck somehow in a, you know, in a pattern of, of, of being like, but aren't we, isn't this, shouldn't we be? You know and just kind of feeling scared even though the risks are actually changing but i don't again it's not i think that's not an argument for kind of being like idiots why do you think this it's it's just it just it just completely um uncovers something that i think is there all the time and we know it's there but it's just it's just really made it explicit that the risks themselves like we never most was a bit tentative in saying this but i would say like most from the numbers that have had covid and have been ill from covid most of us still haven't had like very direct experience of it like we might have had you know our phones pinged or or someone we know has had it but it's not like your own house on fire when you're you know running out the door we haven't had that direct experience it has always mostly been mediated not not for everyone of course but for most people so so the construction, the construction really matters, and the construction's got to be done responsibly. I think that's the thing. I, I guess I don't, I don't. I think some people really sort of looked at the COVID response and were like, "We'll have a bit of that for climate change, please. A bit of this, please. That'll get us going." I don't know. I'm a bit more dubious about that. Your brain,
0: Your brain. Your brain. on climate. On climate. On climate. So good, that is a good bridge to talk about climate change, because yeah, well, particularly at the start of the pandemic, and I think I heard a bit less about this since, there was a load of people that said, oh right, oh I see the government can make something an emergency when it wants to, well can we have a bit of that for climate change please? And it always seemed like that doesn't quite work, because like, climate change is an emergency, but it's not like an emergency emergency in the way that your hospitals are all going to fall over tomorrow is an emergency right and so do having lived through the last 18 months do you think that we could take a sort of some lessons from covid for climate change or is it just a different thing and if it is a different thing how do you make that sort of concept of the real risk of something like climate change cut through in the way that covid did
1: mm. i mean i i I, I, being you know my being being completely honest like one of the emotions that i i experienced at the beginning at the beginning of the pandemic was well firstly i was really worried that it was gonna as well as the impact it would have in and of itself that it would it would knock climate change off you know off the off the top of the priority list again and and, and you know we we just can't afford it we cannot afford it it has to it has to be there it we, we, we were sort of at the starting line, I, I feel like, you know, with climate change now, we're all geared up and going for net zero. And, <clears throat> you know, we've kind of done a lot of the big picture stuff, but now it's kind of all the hard work to do and we just can't afford it. That, that didn't happen, which I think was gratifying and important. It said something important about where climate as an issue has got to in our, in our, in our, in our, in our world, in our society. Um, but I also felt like somehow a sort of, <laughs> yeah, like almost a sense of jealousy about how this this risk was being treated so importantly when climate change hadn't been given that treatment. You know, we've worked on this stuff for so long and I, we've all spent so much time trying to persuade people to take it seriously. Um and and I almost felt a bit of a sense of like what how how how, how can we be rightly so focused on this risk but not apply that consistently to other risks and I I kind of use climate change as a stand in for like could be could be air pollution could be other kind of systemic environmental issues it's the same pattern yeah. Yeah. and and I mean like you say right they're, they're diff they are actually different so for all this all this waffling on about construction of risk like risks are different kind of objectively if we can use that word you know they have different risks signatures they are um experienced even without all the construction in in very different ways have different effects but I think there there are lots of things that we can map onto climate change and lots of them were sort of being said already but i think it's kind of proved them in real time you know like so a lot of the stuff that 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 was effective around covid communication you know it did it very quickly did become humanized it was very strongly like human narratives this wasn't just abstract target-based data and kind of climate wonk climate policy stuff covid wonk covid policy that stuff's there the graphs are there but you know um like the guardians kind of lost to the virus series you know talking about real lives or whatever it would be um and i think yeah like you know we the covid communication in lots of ways went with the grain of our instinctive sort of reactions to risk i i would argue like it somehow went a bit too far with the grain because i think it's left a lot of people in a strange place and i don't think that would be a good I don't, think, I don't want that discourse for climate change. I don't wish we had this hyper-individualised in some ways, you know, hyper-white-hot-moralised mm. sort of, like, discourse around at the moment it's masks again because they're talking, you know, because they're going to be dropped.
0: You want something that feels a bit more kind of positive and communal, is it?
1: Somewhere, yeah, some, somewhere in the middle of, like, the the sort of distant inertia that we've kind of, like... Shrouded climate change in and i and I, and this is where I do think i've 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 changed my mind a bit like i think i spent i spent i've definitely written the sentence or variations um on it you know several times of kind of like climate is a difficult risk for us to perceive it's this perfect storm of mm. you know it, it's distant it's abstract it's distributed in time and space um it's not happening to you obviously saying that sat in in a in my cozy house in Bristol it's happening it has been happening to a lot of people already around the world for a long time um but persuading the british public you know for a long time i felt like that was a, one of my go to lines you know like come on it is hard for us this is a hard risk it's a challenging one and now I, I i guess one thing that covid showed is is like wow we wow we really can act actually we can we can do pretty much whatever we like if we decide we if we decide we want to That's and insane, I, I, and and I think that so yes, climate is a difficult risk to perceive, but I think we've also constructed it, actively constructed it, and that we've got some agency over that in a way that's kept it distant, you know, and a lot and, and has kept it abstract. And I think a lot of the stuff that, you know, climate outreach as an organization has done over the years, the wider climate communication field is sort of saying, like, look, let's get away from, you know. Debunking the facts and the myths, and sort of you know arguing the science, or get let's get beyond that. Let's connect with telling stories that you know um, engage diverse values that um, focus on social norms and humanize the imagery, the language that we use to talk about the issue. Let's repeat those stories. Um, yeah, you know, let's let, let 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 let's draw on all these things that that that's exactly what you've seen has been working with COVID, and it kind of happened almost instinctively you know like suddenly those social norms were there and they were real I mean you know a lot, a lot although there were laws passed a lot of what held it in place was social social kind of positive and negative yeah. judgment and sort of you know sense of doing the right thing um so we have to we have to kind of construct we have we have to do a better job of constructing climate I think in a in a different way not exactly like COVID not not at all but I I feel like somehow we haven't we've sort of almost just accepted that it is it is hard and that that as a risk it's a challenge for us to get our heads around and i i don't know i'm feeling less persuaded by that now
0: talk to me a bit about pain i don't mean the thing that happens when you stub your toe although that's very painful. This uh is Daniel Gilbert's thing, right? So the uh the idea oh you t- tell me what pain is. What's pain? What does pain mean to
1: you? Right, right? yeah. <laughs> pain pain in your brain. Um it's kind of like a, ri- a risk that is that is personal um to you, you know, that is kind of abrupt. Um so it happens, yeah, not not gradually um there's a kind of Im- immorality to it like a kind of disgust or like ah this is wrong um that's the i and then it's happening n- now um right now that's the that's the end at the end of pain um an acronym an acronym yeah p p a i n personal abrupt immoral now and i guess and i have been thinking about this a bit because we've been having
0: this conversation. So just just say what that is. That was uh, psychologist Daniel Gilbert who said that that, for us to take a threat kind of seriously now, it needs to meet those criteria. You can't sort of make that up. Like we have to think that it's happening now to me, that I'm somehow kind of motivated and disgusted by it and that it's different enough for me to pay attention, right? So, and this is the the reason for sort of saying that is that like you can't just make an issue tick those boxes. They have... you know you can't just say oh well climate change is like that if people don't feel it like that
1: right yes and no and i think like i think i think you can't just say something's an emergency when it doesn't feel like an emergency is another way of you know expressing that and I, and i think right. that's true yeah you can't if if someone doesn't believe that a threat is personal or that it is I mean abrupt we're being a bit trapped by the acronym abrupt could also be kind of urgent basically you know or if someone doesn't believe that there's not a moral strong moral dimension to it a right and wrongness but that belief can can be changed right like and I think that's exactly what we're doing that's exactly what all of our communications and engagement work needs to be about because it's not there's nothing about that whether or not things are perceived as personal is not You can't, you can't, there isn't like a a calculus that you can read that off and says, okay, well, that risk is and that risk isn't. It's constructed to be personal or not, I think, in lots of ways, apart from those very extreme conditions where your house is on fire, your monkey lizard is waking up in the middle of the night, et cetera. Um, And there, and this is where I think, you know, this is where I think the move, the recent move and sort of pivot and turn towards taking um, public citizen engagement deliberation around climate change what does this mean for us for me in the now in the near term it's 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 physically picking up a risk that used to be technocratic and target-based and distant and abstract and talked about in that way and kept in that territory in lots of ways you know campaigners have been doing their best but collectively we've 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 kept climate change in that box i think in lots of ways it doesn't Yes, it, it is. It naturally wants to be in that box. We could say as a kind of risk, but we've also helped it to stay there. I think as we bring it closer to us, and you listen to the folks that have been in, say, the Citizens Assembly, um, and you hear them talk about how yeah. their their perception of the risk has changed, and now suddenly, I, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't wish wish pain. I wish pain on all the Citizens Assembly people, but suddenly they are ticking those boxes they're like no 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 this is happening now i can see it i didn't realize i just didn't realize you know i've I've, i can see how this relates to what's happening in the next 20 years i can i can understand the kind of the 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 shape and the and the um the substance of it so i i don't know i feel like that's what i feel like is that we, we we can't just we can't just sort of accept that climate change is the wrong kind of risk for us to get on with like i think we can do a much better job at reconstructing it in a way that works with the grain rather than against the grain of our of our brains
0: and that makes me think a bit about like again, what links the pandemic to what you were just saying there about having different sorts of conversations in which we kind of think in different ways about whether this stuff matters to me, is the extent to which how much I consider something to be risky or not is determined by, this is me personally, right, talking here, my brain, I'm really influenced by what other people around me say, particularly people that I trust, right? So when all my friends and family are freaking out about a thing, I'm much more mm. likely to freak out about that thing. Um, and how much of sort of why climate change is not taken seriously is because, at least historically, it wasn't something that we really talked about. Like it was quite rare that you would get comp- just standing in a queue for the post office and the bloke in front of you goes, "Yeah, inquiring about climate change." Is that changing? Um, and if it is, is, is simply talking about it to people does that in itself start to change how people perceive the risk of something? Do you
1: think? I think I think it absolutely. um especially when we're dealing with a risk that has it it naturally its characteristics for us in 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 a country like the the uk in 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 a well-off position it naturally has the characteristics that keep it at a distance Mm. then then you need to sort of it's almost like we've kind of we've sort of been starved of those like raw ingredients that we need to start picking up that risk and running with it a bit like it's just like you say you don't hear it around you there's a sort of what used to be a social sort of silence that is not the case anymore—that's changed. And now you can you can have conversations that that there are coming It's become part of our national conversation, which it wasn't for a long, long time. COVID, you know, for, for obvious reasons, um, went sort of straight in at the top of the charts of the national conversation for the last year, um, and that I yeah I think strongly the the social you know the social the perception of what other people think. Is a really critically underused element of like how we how we understand the world um, for climate change, I think. I think a lot of a lot of communication and campaigns has been focused on, you know, how do we do, how do we, how do we kind of create some kind of campaign or intervention or project that will raise the awareness or concern about this issue in people's individual minds. But I think. You know, there's there's quite a few studies, and and I think there's loads more to do with this, that have shown that people really like consistently underestimate the level of support for climate policies by others. So everyone's thinking no one else cares about it. Everyone's thinking everyone's more sceptical than they are. Everyone's thinking they support others support wind power, whatever it would be, less than they actually do. And so it's not about again. It's not. I don't. I really don't believe that it's about kind of coming in and being like ah. Let's debunk that misperception. But it is about it is about providing spaces where people can see that that's not the case. And I think then where you've got that, um, you know, that much more richly embedded sense that other people like me care about this. This is something that we've all got in our sights. We can, you know, we can take this on. And this is what it looks like. That's a very that's a very very different. Um, conversation to, to 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 what was there like you know even five years ago but definitely 10 years ago and it, like you know that that hasn't happened with covid because it all happened in such a rush but i think it probably i think there's an argument that that's exactly what is needed now because we're coming into a bit more of a slowing down pace now with it in this country by the looks of it where it's going to be a case of negotiation and navigating a risk territory and in that circumstance yeah, the kind of conversation aspect to it is everything, really. You know, and and, and the more you can get away from the from the sort of the, the the Twitter shouting at each other about 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 the the different policy choices, probably 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 the better for us all.
0: So wrapping this wrapping this all up a bit then. So people have listened to this and they've gone, right, good, okay. That Adam's clever. I get this stuff now. What are the sort of takeaway couple of things? If you're out there and you're worried about climate change and you're worried, as you were describing, you know, you're worried that other people are just bastards and not getting it enough. So what are the things you think people should keep in their heads and maybe try and do, uh, to help their brains deal with this in the future?
1: I mean, I think I think where I've where I've landed with 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 experiencing the last year like like we like we all have but i guess experiencing it with a slightly weird um niche lens on thinking about how do those risk perceptions relate to climate risk perceptions and the things that we've done as climate communicators and what's happened in in real time in front of our eyes with this with this creation construction of an emergency in front of us um and i and i would i would say i i don't i don't wish um for a kind of um for for a copy and paste of the of the COVID risk discourse into climate change. One, because they're so different issues. They really are different, as well as us constructing them in a different way. But two, because we, there's going to be a constant process of negotiating climate change from 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 here on for decades and we can't possibly sustain um you know a diet of kind of terror and fear and apocalypse um, on climate change even though it, it warrant you know it warrants it like that the, the risks are just just as just as serious and 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 more significant objectively overall you know and across time but what can what can we see and what can we take that's positive positive I think the kind of the principles and the ideas that a lot of people have been pushing on for i guess moving climate change away from being a, a sort of a, a science policy issue and into being a fully enmeshed sort of part of our day to day and like you know um, forward facing kind of societal decisions is that is that is that we can really see that that, that when, when you connect with people emotionally, when you um, tell relatable, show relatable human stories, when the government act as if they are taking the risk seriously and give you that clear cue um, to back up the rhetoric, um, when you hear the people around you talking in a way that shows their concern, that in a positive way shows their concern and in a sort of less positive way makes you think, hmm. Maybe I but not not be so sneaky and, you know, um rinse another ten flights to to Australia or whatever it would be, you know, the equivalent would be for for climate change. When all those things come together, um y- you can see just 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 how risks are constructed. And it's yeah, it's not I I think I think it's it's only it's only repeating and passing on what I think a lot of risk <laughs> studies have shown over the years in lots of different ways. What they all amount to really is that, yeah, there there is a danger there. Um, that, that we all kind of react to, but but we've got some choices about how we construct risks, and I think we can do a better job of, of constructing climate change.
0: So that was my chat with Adam. So why isn't climate change taken like an emergency emergency by government? And something Adam really brought home is that in our complex world, Pretty much every big or little risk that we face has got just so much other stuff layered on top of it in terms of how we take it seriously and the people in charge take it seriously. Like who we believe, what those people think, who we listen to, who has the power, what our politics are, how risky stuff is to me personally, what's the immediate jeopardy. And there's no getting around that climate is complex or that governments don't do stuff unless they think it's important. And, I guess like all of us, they don't think it's important unless it really actually bloody is, right here and now. The pain stuff we talked about is really interesting on that. Or they're being made to, because someone, the public, the person next door to you is demanding it. And of course we're all a bit like that, we're biased towards getting on with stuff in the here and now, and it takes a lot to disrupt us and make us think things are risky. Somehow that's gotta change. But I do think that Adam is right, that maybe we overthink it, maybe it's too easy to say climate is that complex. Because, actually, I remember Boris coming on the telly in March 2020 here in the UK and announcing we were all going to lock down and life was going to be different. I remember that sort of sick and strange, uncanny feeling of upending and of a genuine fear that I felt. I was genuinely scared. And I was scared... Not at that point particularly because of the virus itself, which still seemed like a kind of abstract thing, but because of how other people were behaving, how Boris was behaving, and how I thought other people would behave from that point on. And I am really influenced by what other people think. I'd love to be one of those amazing, fearsome, independent-minded souls. I'm really not. And everyone did start to act weird. And Boris was acting weird, even for him, so people started acting even weirder. And things changed every day, and the government did stuff with policy and with money to make it clear that this was serious, and people's behaviour changed pretty much overnight, and everyone really fast saw this as a massive risk. Most people anyway. And so what would happen if a government, this government, any government said, no, no, the climate emergency is an emergency emergency, and because of that we're going to do some actual emergency things about it. And we're going to spend billions of pounds. And we're going to make the moral case as emphatically as the scientific case. And there's going to be briefings every day on the telly about the latest science. And would that in itself create the permission that government needs to do even more and go even faster in society? I can't help feeling that it might. So thanks massively to Adam for coming on. Adam is at AJ Corner on Twitter. Or you can check out his website at adamcorner.uk. This was the first episode. I want to know what you think. Thank you so much for listening this far. Uh, You can find the podcast on Twitter at Brain Climate. Leave a comment on there. You can leave a review in your podcast medium of choice, or you can email hello at yourbrainonclimate.com. Please tell people and spread the word. And I'll be back a bit later in the summer with a series of these, aiming for six episodes, each week chatting to a different expert. Yeah, yeah, perhaps people with PhDs in psychology, but maybe other people who've thought a lot about brains and how they work. And what we'll do is we together will look at the climate crisis through the thing they know about. Thank you so much for listening. Until the show starts properly, look after yourself, hit subscribe, and I'll be back before you know it.